Sports Radio and you. This is Johnny. Johnny is going to use his computer to contact the spirits. His sister Jenny is very curious and watches. Johnny just typed in www.para-x.com and is now communicating with the dead. You go, Johnny. Jenny is excited because now she can listen to shows like Nightwatch with Todd Sheets, Caps Paranormal Radio with David and Tom, Paranormal Awareness with Bill Metz, Ghostology with Brian and Anna Marie, Leinster Paranormal Radio Show with Danny and Cormac, and The Ghost Divas Live. One day, the world will be a better place when we can all be like Johnny and Jenny and tune into Para-X Radio at www.para-x.com. All paranormal, all the time. When you flashed, I saw what looked like a figure standing in the Okay, this is Dream Team. We're ready for EVP sweep. That is weird. These cameras don't do this. Water supposedly will come off and on in various rooms. It's a very EMF meter. Started this campaign. You're listening to the number one source for paranormal evidence brought to you firsthand by real investigators in the field. No hoaxes, no disinformation. You're listening to The Ghost Project. I found myself face-to-face with someone or something that was attempting to play with my psyche as well as my physical being. How sure are you of that? I'm 100% sure of that.
Ghost has learned that all people possess mental powers which pass the boundaries of the natural. Ghosts, Bigfoot, extraterrestrials, Terra Hub Radio, psychics, parapsychology, Loch Ness Monster, Terra Hub Radio, paranormal news, giveaways, open chat, Terra Hub Radio, classic rock, and paranormal talk, Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific, at parahub.org, bounceradio.net, and beastradio.com. This is Ghostly Talk. Dr. Michael E. Sala is a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the scholarly study of the main actors, institutions, and political processes associated with extraterrestrial life. His groundbreaking exopolitics, political implications of the extraterrestrial presence, uh, presents the first scholarly framework for understanding the political implications of the extraterrestrial presence. His interest in exopolitics evolved out of his investigation of the sources of inter- international conflict and its relationship with the undisclosed extraterrestrial presence. He cites evidence of as many as 17 different extraterrestrial civilizations currently interacting with humanity in a variety of of ways, with a number of other civilizations simply monitoring the Earth. Now, if that ain't going to put a chill up your spine, I don't know what <laughs> does. His website is www.exopolitics.org, and we'd like to welcome Dr. Michael E. Sala to the show. How are you doing, Michael? Hi, how are you doing, Scott? Glad to be here. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you here, and when I saw this topic, I was like, uh, we need to talk to this guy. <laughs> We need to have a discussion with this gentleman. Now, 17, now let, I, let's just start with this, I guess, just to get things rolling. 17 different extraterrestrial civilizations. Uh, well, first of all, if I may ask, how, you, I mean, how were you able to find out, that, that, to get that number? Uh, I don't even know how to ask. How did you get that number, I guess, uh, as far as the, how many civilizations are monitoring or interacting with the Earth right now? Well, what I did, Scott, was to look at uh, different whistleblowers, contactees, people that were talking about their interactions or what they had seen in various government uh, projects or files in terms of uh, what was the most likely number of ET races that were visiting or interacting with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a number of whistleblowers that talk about uh, different ET races. Uh, For example, Sergeant, uh, Command Sergeant Major Robert Dean says that NATO mentioned four different races that were interacting with, hum- uh, with humanity back in the early 1960s. Uh, then, then you had a Congressional Research Service study that mentioned between two to six different uh, ET races. That study was conducted in the uh, in 19, um, mid-1970s with the Carter administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then you had people like Clifford Stone talking about as many as 57 different races um, that are interacting with the Earth. So I, I looked at all of that and basically came up with, with the number of different ET groups that we can be most confident are interacting in some way. 
Oh, okay. So, I mean, the number just blows me away that there's this many. One thing I would, if I can ask you this, is um, how, do you have maybe any type of uh, number or pr proportion between the two that, I mean, obviously there's some that just that just monitor the earth. There's some that interact with the earth. I mean, is there any way to find out, you know, whether some are, I mean, I've heard, we've talked to a lot of people about, you know, extraterrestrials, and we hear on both sides where, you know, they're here, we hear that they're here to help us, you know, evolve into something better because they think we have problems that we need to resolve now. And I've also heard on the opposite that some of the, these, these, these extraterrestrials, whatever race they may be, are here to do harm to us and possibly wipe us out. Do you have a, a ratio between, you know, within that number of 17, are they all here to help us, or are, you know, are some here to help us, or some here not to help us? Well, I, I wrote a paper called um, uh, A Study in Extraterrestrial Motivations and Activities where I went through the, the 17 uh, different ET races that were interacting with us in some way. Okay. And, and there were about uh, five that were behaving in ways that we would consider to be very questionable or negative in certain respects. Not in every respect, but certainly in terms of the things that they were doing, we would say, well, you know, maybe they're not acting with our best interests at heart, uh -huh. whereas the others were acting in a clearly uh, benevolent uh, kind of positive way. So, uh, and that would be roughly 12 to 5. So, you know, we're looking at somewhere between 2 to 3 a ratio there in terms of the good guys to the to a kind of questionable one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's one thing I've heard that you know there are like you like what you uh, you've stated there are multiple races visiting this planet, but not all of them have our best interest in mind. Uh, hopefully that'll change someday though. Um, you mentioned President Eisenhower. Okay. Uh, as far as and, and there has been rumors that he's actually you know had meetings you know during his administration he had meetings with extraterrestrials uh, and that they actually went as far to as to actually you know make agreements together sign contracts together you know I, God knows what that may be hopefully you can, you can enlighten us on that but I mean what is there evidence to support this? Well, there is actually quite a lot of evidence now. Uh, it's starting to come out that Eisenhower had a number of meetings. The first one was in Edwards Air Force Base on February 20, 1954, and, and we just passed the 55th anniversary of that uh, just, just over a, a week ago, mm -hmm. or two weeks ago. Um, and there are a number of people that have come forward talking about what they experienced. We actually now have more evidence in terms of... Um, uh, reports that Edwards Air Force Base was closed on the day that Eisenhower was, was visiting, for, uh, that was closed for a three-day period, that there was an alert system put in place to close it, uh, that Eisenhower was seen getting on a, a small Beechcraft air, uh, aircraft at Norton Air Force Base and travelling secretly up to Edwards Air Force Base when he was supposedly having dental treatment. Oh, okay. And, and so we've had that, we've had those kind of reports. Um, then there are also reports that he had a similar visit in, or, or a similar encounter in February of 1955 at uh, Holloman Air Force Base, where again Air Force One uh, was was uh, um, was used to take Eisenhower to a certain location, um, and this time Eisenhower was taken directly to Holloman Air Force Base on on Air Force One. It was seen by multiple people. Uh, multiple witnesses talked about what uh, they experienced. The, the flying saucer was seen landing at Holloman, uh, that Eisenhower got into the uh, flying saucer. And all this occurred while, Hol while Eisenhower was officially recuperating f from a case of the sniffles in Georgia. Uh -huh. uh, 
So um, we've got those sorts of testimonies and, and kind of um, statements that support that, yes, Eisenhower did in fact travel uh, secretly to have uh, some secret meetings at these Air Force bases. Oh, wow. I mean, and I've heard about that before, that there was this stuff. I mean, and there is testimony out there and witnesses who have seen this thing. It's fantastic. Um, okay, another question I guess I can ask, you know, this I guess is related to President Eisenhower, is um, as far as these, you know, these, these uh, agreements that, that they may have had, um, is it more, more or less, I mean, I'm trying to see how to phrase this, uh, well, are secret agreements with extraterrestrials constitutional? And, you know, basically what would be involved with that? Because, I mean, this is, this is kind of getting into the core of exopolitics, I imagine. Um, as far as these agreements with extraterrestrials, I mean, are they constitutional? I mean, uh, I'll, just, I'll just keep it at that. Are they constitutional? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, well, firstly, you have to consider that the President of the United States has the power to sign any treaty. Yeah. And, and then, according to the Constitution, he needs two-thirds of the consent of the Senate in order for that treaty to then be um, ratified. Now, uh, but that doesn't stop the, the President from implementing a treaty, even though it hasn't been ratified yet. I mean, there are examples of that, historical examples of that, like, for example, the Strategic Arms Limitation Talks, uh, the second version of that, that was signed by, by the President, um, but it was never implemented. Uh, sorry, uh, it was never ratified by the okay. U.S. Senate, but it was implemented by uh, the President using executive orders. So similarly, a, an agreement that's signed with uh, extraterrestrials, uh, that can be implemented by presidential executive orders, uh, sec uh, national security directives, even though the, the, the Senate has not ratified it. Um, and so today, the Senate hasn't ratified anything concerning extraterrestrials and I think uh, the reason for that is because the full Senate was never uh, given any document uh, that had been signed uh, but nevertheless the, the President has the authority to go ahead and implement it so what we have is a kind of grey area here mm -hmm. where uh, the, the President does have the authority to do that even though um, according to the Constitution you, you do need to have uh, the Senate ratifying it, but you know that's a grey area, and uh, and I guess that's something that they've yeah. been using for 50 years now. I don't, you know, obviously I don't think we're going to be. Well, I mean, you tell me. I don't think we're going to be hearing about this on CNN anytime. As far I mean, I've never heard anything talked about like this on you know on you know every I listen to the news every day and I hear mm. you know I hear about oh well, they're working on this thing you know of course all of it right now is how crappy the economy is right. and stuff like that. And it's too depressing. Well, they're fighting over you know they're fighting over the money, seeing who's going to get what and whatnot. Uh, but I the thing is I never you you do you think you'd really hear something like this on CNN if they actually brought a bill like this out um, in relation to extraterrestrials like this? Uh, do you I for some reason I think even in this day and age when there is a lot more acceptance of, of the paranormal or UFOs specifically here that, uh, you know, I still think that if they were to bring a bill like, any type of bill like this out, it would just be, they, people would just go, are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you follow what I'm saying, Michael? Well, yeah, it'll, it'll just kind of just shock people, be so beyond their comprehension that, yeah. uh, you know, rather than UFOs being real, you know, if that's the question, it's like, well, they're, they're having meetings and agreements yeah. are being signed, that'll just kind of really blow people away. Uh, you know, but that's, but that's really the, the, the case. I mean, I'm convinced now, you know, having been doing this research on the Eisenhower meetings, um, I, I really began, began uh, to have taken interest in that uh, five, six years ago, and, uh, and I have found nothing that basically uh, 
gives me the opposite impression to Eisenhower having met with EPs and having signed agreements. And I, and I think eventually it will come out, and I'm very encouraged by this Truth Commission that uh, Patrick Leahy has been uh, promoting and that the, Senate, that the Senate Judiciary Committee looks like it will actually pass some sort of... Uh, Bill or some sort of authority for a truth commission to go ahead, because mm-hmm. that'll give that'll give immunity to people to come forward to talk about um, a number of areas where there were abuses. And one of the areas that uh, Lay identified in his uh, truth commission proposal is executive override of laws, and that that kind of sounds a little kind of strange. You know, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, I think what we'll what we'll find is that signing agreements. Uh, that are implemented without the Senate uh, ratifying these, that would be an example of executive override of laws. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the kind of scenario, if that Truth Commission goes ahead, where you could have a, a whistleblower coming forward and say, well, um, yes, I was involved in a top-secret program, and uh, yeah, we were having meetings, and uh, we were implementing agreements without without Congress being aware of this, and, uh, and, and that is an example of where someone could come forward and reveal everything that they experience and be given congressional immunity so that they aren't prosecuted, because at the moment, someone comes forward to talk about a classified project, it doesn't matter you know, what rank they are, but they could be immediately jailed and yeah. uh, the yeah. book's thrown at them. Well, even, I, I hate to sound cynical though, Michael, but even if there was you know, some type of immunity for these people, I don't think they would still be, I mean, because how many, how many stories have we heard? I mean, my favorite story is always about you know, the uh, gentleman named Phil Schneider who, came, who was uh, involved with the black ops. He was a master geologist, and he had ties in with all types of underground bases and things like that. And he was actually, they said he committed suicide by choking himself to death with a, with a rubber tube. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? That's what they said, is that he was actually, he committed suicide by choking himself to death. I've never heard that before, uh, but it's obvious that he was assassinated. It seems like, yeah, you could get immunity uh, within the house, but it seems like if there were uh, other interests at work and people whose lives and careers could be ruined as a result of this testimony, they would try to handle this on their own. You follow what I'm saying, Michael? Well, yeah, I think that's the way things have been done for a long time. And it sucks. Um, I'm not happy about it, but it just seems like it, it's a very uh, living and breathing thing still, even today. Well, well, that's right. It, it's been the it's been the reality here, which is why a lot of uh, whistleblowers um, have been very uh, careful in, in how much they reveal. But, but nevertheless, you have to kind of like look at the number of whistleblowers that have been coming forward over the last uh, decade or so, and, and it's quite a lot. I mean, uh, you know, you look back at the days of Phil Schneider. Well, how many whistleblowers were coming forward saying that they had experienced uh, some direct um, contact or document, doc- documentation concerning extraterrestrial life? Yeah. You know, there weren't that many. It was kind of Schneider, Cooper. Um, uh, uh, you, you had uh, uh, others, uh, John Lear, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. not not that many. But now we've got literally hundreds, and the disclosure project was involved. And I think it's because the military are encouraging people to come forward because I think there's a deeper scenario playing out here, which is that the, the U.S. military feel that control of the ET projects has been taken out of their hands and is now in the control of the corporations. And I think they see disclosure as a way of regaining control. So that's why you're getting a lot more whistleblowers coming forward and nothing's being done about it because I think you know what you're having here is that, yes, even though that uh, you, you, you have um, these... Um, 
corporations that do a lot of intimidation that they're still out there doing their stuff. Yeah. But the, the military are kind of watching that as well. So it's kind of this, this, this really strange game of where covert operatives are watching one another and they're coming forward, the stuff is being leaked. And I think we're going to see more of that. Well, and I mean, as far as disclosure is concerned, I mean, personally to me, I mean, I've said it a gazillion times on this show, I know for a fact, I, it, it, there's no doubt in my mind that there are beings visiting this planet. I mean, I'd like to read any evidence there is out there, but I'm, I'm very convinced about that. Right. I think it's just, it just common sense tells you that's going on. I don't, we talked about it the last half hour with Dr. Lynn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, but the thing that really, well, I think, and we, I think what we talked about in the past on here was, you know, if, and I'll say it again, if they, if they were just to drop, if the president was to come on TV and just drop this time bomb on a ray going, okay, I'm going to level with you. <laughs> Here's what's going on. Uh, UFOs exist. We've been, sorry, there's, sorry, we've been covering it up for a few years here because there were other interests at hand. And for the good of you people, uh, we decided to cover it up. But I'm coming forward and coming clean and saying that there are UFOs, you know, you know, visiting this planet, they're either interacting with us or they're just monitoring this planet. Right. It is going on. Have a nice day. God bless America. Now, I, how do you think, well, first of all, I'd like to ask you, Michael, how do you think people, if the president was to come on TV and do that, like tonight, for example, after the show tonight, how do you think uh, most people in America would, re- would react to that? Well, I think it would be too much of a shock. It would be, be kind of destabilizing in many ways. And, and I think that that's probably not the way they would do it. I think the way they would do it is to basically uh, implement a period, you know, like 12 months, two mm-hmm. years, to basically change policy so that, you know, rather than government kind of debunking this sort of thing and the major media debunking they it. Start slowly, they start slowly supporting it. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. Start supporting it. You know, basically uh, show a greater degree of openness, and you get universities to start doing, uh, you know, to show, show openness. Because so far, you know, universities have been pretty silent on this whole issues. Um, you know, why, why are scholars uh, kind of like showing this issue, showing away from this issue? Because um, they get punished if they if they do any anything about it, or if they show any kind of interest or commitment to uh, the data, uh, they get thrown out of their jobs, lose their careers, and so forth. But I think that what they would do if they wanted to really prepare the public for an announcement is to change that, and all of a sudden you'd have some universities doing some high-profile studies, looking at whistleblower testimonies, looking at experience of testimonies, and, and, and reaching conclusions that would kind of help prepare the public for an announcement. And they'd probably do kind of uh, they'd probably do a few things to kind of prepare people as well, like they'd say. You know, NASA would announce, well, you know, we found microbes on Mars, and then they'd say, oh, well, we find uh, kind of evidence of kind of more advanced life forms on Mars so many years ago. And yeah. that way you get the public up to speed over a period of time. We've been hearing more. I just thought I saw, I think I saw an article this week uh, uh, that they found, again, I think there, there's been a couple of them that, that have come out over the last couple of years concerning Mars, but recently, uh, the one I saw this week, I believe it was, uh, they found, they, they believe they found running water on Mars. Now. Really? Yeah, running water, which is, that kind of ties right in with what you're saying there, Michael, um, and I think that's what's going on. I've been saying it for years like that, that I, I'm convinced that this is going on, but there's no way that they could just come out and come clean and say, yeah, 
yet they exist. Sorry about all the confusion. This is what's going on. It would be it would create a lot of unrest. I agree with you. So what's going on? If you watch the news and you keep an eye on things, you're seeing articles of 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 yeah of these bigger news organizations like you just said before that the corporations are stepping in on this and obviously the corporations are what run a lot of the news in this country what we what we call news in this country mm-hmm. um, and they are supporting a lot of these claims that people are seeing things and they're and I and I've watched some of these news reports on TV or on the web and stuff like that and I and I'm sure you're aware of this Michael that you've seen some of these reports where they you know they report the story but it's in a very condescending type manner are like, okay, so what's your story, buddy? Go ahead. You know, and as the guy's talking, they're like making the donkey faces and stuff yeah, while this exactly. guy's talking, right? But it seems like they're being a bit more, from what I've seen, it seems like they're being more supportive of the person they're interviewing, and it seems like they're making it, you know, they, they believe it more right. as opposed to scoffing at the person. You, you follow what I'm saying on that too, Michael? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's been a sea change in terms of the, the way the media is approaching this issue. And um, uh, Larry King Live has, has done a lot of interviews now on the ET uh, UFO issue. Peter Jennings did uh, that major special back in 2005 that really kind of opened up a lot of people's eyes. Uh, and a lot of the major networks are doing more more stories. The History Channel is doing a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. And UFO Hunters. So uh, it's really getting out there, and the media is just more sympathetic. And uh, and I think the, this is part of the sea change that, that I'm see, uh, seeing now, that uh, there's just much more openness. And to me, that's a sign that we are getting closer to disclosure because, um, you know, to, to really kind of prepare the people for that kind of announcement that you mentioned before where, yeah. say, President Obama comes forward and says, you know, well, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a period, you know, six months, a year, two years, of just kind of getting people used to the idea about uh, extraterrestrials might be real, might be visiting us, might be interacting, so that that way when the, when the announcement is, ma- is made, you're not going to have kind of severe disruption. Exactly. But then again, with the collapsing economy, <laughs> yeah. people, people are pretty open anyway. Yeah, I think, I, I think people would be the most accepting right now, actually, with the economy the way it is. Let's take a quick break, Michael. Uh, I want to talk more about this, obviously, but we want to get to the paranormal news with, uh, with Bonnie Vent here. Uh, yeah, so when we come back, we're going to be talking more about exopolitics with Dr. Michael E. Uh, this is Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott L. I'm Bonnie. Amber. Why don't you just say I'm Amber? You're totally messing <laughs> I like up. That. I like you're totally that messing our thing up here, Amber. You know, I know you're a guest on. I'm tonight. Amber. Thank you. I okay. Whatever. I right. love you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I had to do that joke. You guys didn't see that. All right. We'll be right back after this. Ghostly Interested in ghosts, UFOs? How about the occult? Are you psychic? Would you like to find out? Well, if you're intrigued by the world's curiosities and all that is paranormal, then Paralore.com is a place for you. Create your own profile, start a photo album, write a blog, or just hang out and watch countless hours worth of paranormal videos while chatting with other Paralore members. Who knows? You could win a prize or two if you're quick and brave enough. It's all here, and it's all free. Visit www.paralore.com and join today. Again, membership is free, and we know you won't be disappointed. Paralore.com. Unlock your mind. Welcome to Paranormal News on Ghostly Talk Radio. Paranormal News is produced by Genesis Creations Entertainment. I'm your host, Bonnie Vance. Do you need a celebrity to promote your product or service? Planning a big event and want that little extra star power? 
Want to have lunch or dinner with the cast of Leave it to Beaver or dinner and a concert with Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits? Then go to Genesis Creations Entertainment at www.genesiscreations.biz and book a celebrity today. Spirits of the Departed appear reluctant to check out of a Chapman Inn bed and breakfast. A young woman's female voice emanates from an empty room. Footsteps are heard from another part of the house, but no one's there. A black cat leaves the room through a solid wall. During the 12 years that Fred Nolte and Sandra Fry have owned the Chapman Inn Bed and Breakfast, their guests have repeatedly relayed such stories over breakfast. The home was built during the Civil War. Regardless of whether the Chapman does in fact host ghosts along with mere mortals, the innkeepers clearly enjoy the entertainment speculation provides. Most of the strange occurrences have happened, Fred said, in rooms 7 and 9. Room 7 is directly over the kitchen, and during the drafty days of the 19th century, it was the warmest spot in the house. As a result, it served as a nursing room, the one in which people most frequently entered and exited this world. That's where most psychic activity takes place, says Fred. The Nolte's themselves have not witnessed spirits firsthand, but they have noticed unusual occurrences such as a rocking chair moving with no one around, items being moved, and doors opening and closing by themselves. Sandra said bottles of perfume were particularly prone to move from room to room all by themselves. Fred said he typically takes a scientific view of such things and is not caught up by them, but he said he doesn't rule anything out either. An arbitration panel, presumably made up of humans and not ghosts, has ruled that the Atlantic Paranormal Society has no rights to the domain name TAPS.com. The Atlantic Paranormal Society operates under the web address of TheAtlanticParanormalSociety.com, so it's no surprise that the organization is seeking a better domain name. TAPS has a number of trademarks for the term, but the panel was not persuaded that the domain name was registered in bad faith. The respondent, who lives in France, claims he never heard of the Atlantic Paranormal Society and did not register the generic four-character domain with a ghostly organization in mind. For more information on these stories, please go to www.sdparanormal.com and the Paranormal News Feed page. Don't forget, sign up for a free subscription to Paranormal News. Thanks for joining us today on Paranormal News. If you'd like to sponsor or advertise on Paranormal News, please send us an email at paraxnews at aol.com. You can listen to Paranormal News on Ghostly Talk Radio at www.ghostlytalk.com. Please check out their other fine shows. Or you can join us at paranormalnews.mypodcast.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Bonnie Vance. you want to dive into the bizarre world of the paranormal? Do ghosts, UFOs, or the supernatural amaze you to the point of wanting to learn more? Well then, you need BVRN, the Black Vault Radio Network. With more than 1,200 hours of on-demand talk radio, 
syndicated from more than 35 shows, the Black Vault Radio Network is your one-stop shop for the world of the unexplained. Check us out and tune in 24 hours a day at www.blackvaultradio.com. Again, that's www.blackvaultradio.com. Don't be caught bored waiting for something to go bump in the night. Listen to the Paranormal Broadcast System with Brad, Brandon, Todd, and Paul. Well, hello, Mr. Phantom Man. Listen to some great interviews with some amazing guests that run the gamut from ghost hunting groups across the country to paranormal personalities in the media. First, let's be serious for a moment. Then let's have some fun! We've got it all covered. Tune in and listen to intriguing interviews with our hosts from L.A. Spirits and the Louisiana Spectral Research Center. Then kick back and listen to us try to be funny with some crazy cages. That's some other guys, too. This is no kid's show, folks. It's the Paranormal Broadcast System. Listen to us poke fun at ourselves. It's funnier that way. You can find us at www.laghosts.com. That's www.laghosts.com. You're listening to Ghostly Talk with your hosts, Doug, Scott L., and Bonnie. That was a lie. Doug yeah, isn't here. Doug and Lisha. Just, a, just an update on that. I did call Doug again on my cell phone on the break, and he's not answering. I think he is. Li- I know I'm going to hear it tomorrow. Um, you wouldn't believe it, Scott. I got on the yeah, phone with you, exactly. sat down on the couch, because he's done that and before. I was, uh, he's done it to me before. Yeah. Where he just he just sits down, and I don't blame, I can't blame the guy. I know what he's been through this weekend. So, sweet dreams, Doug. Yes. We love you. While the rest of us here are here slaving over a hot mixing board, this is Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott L. I'm Bonnie. I'm Amber. That's better. Thank you. Someday you'll learn. You're welcome. Looks like you're making progress, Amber. Mm. We're talking to Dr. Michael E. Sala about exopolitics. And I mentioned black budgets, uh, you know, in the last half an hour. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, how is the black budget funding generated for ET-related projects? I mean, we often hear about this, uh, you know, the black budget and all these scary things. But you never really hear about a lot of the details. I mean, what are the details of this, Michael? Well, you know, first thing is, to understand that there are two black budgets. There's an official black budget and an unofficial black budget. The official black budget is the stuff that the Pentagon does to fund the intelligence agencies where it has line items in its budget that don't refer to any uh, known program. So, you know, people know about that, and it's a rough, roughly about $34 billion a, a year, so they know about that. But there's an unofficial black budget which actually is used to generate a much larger pool of money that is used to fund projects totally off the books, without any congressional oversight at all, without even executive oversight at all. And so that's the unofficial black budget, okay. and that's raised by the, you know, basically the CIA is, is the agency, the lead agency for raising that money. Why can't, oh, this is a stupid question, but I mean, it, it has to be asked, Michael. You said there's an official black budget and an unofficial black budget. Now, the official black budget, they have line items on there that they don't, they don't disclose what the line items are for right. from what you said. Why can't they just call it, 
Well, I, there's espionage. I understand that there's counterintelligence and all that stuff going on too. So I guess it's much more complicated than, than I can than I can fathom. But it just seems why couldn't they just you know have a secret budget, the, the secret budget where you know we we do tell you we can we can document what we're spending this money on, but we're not going to let people know about it because we're trying to keep these things. I mean, it just seems like you know they're gonna if they're gonna make it public and they're gonna put all this stuff down there. I mean, I know that I'm accountable for the money that I spend or the money that I make, right? Um, I have to. Do you know, in my come tax season, like right now, I'm accountable for that. I have to tell them what I've made and what and what I've you know what I put money out on and things like that. And it seems like you know it seems a bit unfair that I you know I know it's Big Brother talking again here, but they are not accountable for in in, in the official black budget for telling us exactly what they're spending this money on. It seems as if the, the taxpayers' money, I'm sure that's where it is, they would have to be a little bit more accountable for that. You follow what I'm saying? Well, well, that's right. Yes, and and um, there have been cases where uh, people have tried to bring this to uh, to the Supreme Court, and one case uh, involved a gentleman uh, called uh, Richardson who brought this in the in the 19, early 1970s to the Supreme Court um, uh, and argued unsuccessfully that he has a right to know how much the intelligence, uh, um, how much is being spent uh, on the intelligence agencies through the black budget, uh, but he was denied. Um, standing for, for bringing that case forward. So essentially, uh, the su- Supreme Court was uh, ruling in favour of the uh, secrecy system that yeah. uh, this, this is something that doesn't have to be disclosed because of national security concerns. Well, and I do, I, I mean, out of fairness, I do understand that. I mean, if everything's true, like they, like we're told every day, like, look, there's some things we can't tell you because we're trying to, to defend the integrity of this country, and we do not want to be attacked like we were, you know, back in 2001. So there's some things we just cannot leak out. I'm fine with that. So, I mean, I guess it just goes both ways, and I'm, I'm sure we'll never find out really where all that money spent. And that's just in the official one, Michael. Now we have the unofficial one where it's just, it's the Wild West, it sounds like to me, and it's, it, from what you said, it, there's a lot more money being poured into that, correct? Exactly, yeah. I mean, if, if the official budget is the, if the official black budget is the Wild West, the unofficial is the Wild Wild West. <laughs> there are no rules. It's like, it, it really is kind of like people raising money, no matter how they do it, they just raise money for these projects that are just done totally off the books without any, any agency, any government entity kind of like taking control of that. And, uh, and and the size of that unofficial black budget, um, it, it runs, according to some estimates, into the trillion-dollar category. And you mentioned Phil Schneider. He was one of the first to talk about the black budget yes. being around a trillion dollars. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz has also kind of come up with uh, estimates of, of a trillion-dollar black budget. And I've done a, um, a major study on the black budget as well. And incidentally, I'm actually going to put out a couple of articles on the black budget starting now tomorrow. So this is kind of quite synchronistic. <laughs> on, the, on the black budget through my uh, examiner column, uh-huh. uh, and, and and basically, um, if you look at the Inspector General reports from 1988, 99 to 2000, the, the unofficial black budget you, you can estimate it to be around 1.7 trillion dollars a year. A um, year? Exactly. So we're talking about an enormous amount of money that's raised by. Um, through the CIA's activities in a number of areas, people have talked about the drug trade, uh, white collar crime, uh, the CIA participating in these kind of Wall Street scams, pump and dump economics, internet scams, and so forth. That yeah. Somehow, all of this comes together for uh, the CIA being able to generate vast amounts of money that it then moves through the Pentagon into these various black projects. Oh man, and. and... <sighs> 
Okay. Okay, the brain stopped again. <laughs> just give me a second, Michael. I just gotta, I gotta reboot my. Si- okay, I'm coming back now. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, but, that's, that's, that's a huge, it's a huge thing. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's very, it's a lot to process. And well, the one, yeah, that's what I wanted to mention or ask was just that. I mean, it sounds like. Well, this is, it's ridiculous. It sounds like they're raising this money by illegal means. I mean, is, am I getting that correct? Well, um, the, the funny thing is it's not so illegal because if you look at the 1949 CIA Act, basically uh, Congress passed legislation that gave the, the CIA the power to spend money without recourse to law. In other words, they can spend money without 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 any consideration for what laws apply. So in, in, in essence, but what, the, what the 1949 CIA Act does, it created the CIA as a giant money laundering system. <laughs> that, the, that the CIA has the legal right to launder money, and it can do it however it wants. And so basically, uh, the CIA covert operatives can raise money using whatever activities they're doing, questionable methods and so forth. And, and then the CIA can spend this money without any law coming in to basically saying that, you know, you need to account for where this money came from, why it's being spent and so forth, that none of that applies to the CIA. And, and that is legal. The 1949 CIA Act gives the CIA the, the, the express right to do that. Well, that just pisses me off, Michael. <laughs> to be frank, that's that's crap. I mean, they, well, okay. I mean, I can, I know I can scream and yell to him blue in the face. It isn't going to change anything. But I mean, okay, people, you heard that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not an exclusive anywhere, but you've heard that, and and that's just uh, that that's frustrating, if anything. Uh, another question: Are extraterrestrials being? This is we're just going to. Yeah, I want to get off that subject, okay, Michael. Because it's just going to make me mad the more we talk about that. That's 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 absolutely ridiculous. Um, false flag operations. That's one thing I wanted to mention here too. Uh, how are false flag operations related to extraterrestrial life? Uh, I guess let's, let's talk about these false flag operations first. What are these? Well, I mean, these are covert operations that try to pin the blame for some terrorist action or some violent act on someone else. So uh, the, the, the the most the most Kind of uh, documented uh, false flag operation is the Northwoods uh, operation that uh, the documents for that were leaked, which basically showed that the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff had approved op- uh, had approved plans to basically frame Cuba for attacks on American uh, civilian aircraft and American soil. So they were going to pin the blame on Cuba, uh, but uh, the Kennedy administration knocked that back. But that's an example of a false flag operation that was approved at the highest levels. Okay, and well, how are they related to extraterrestrial life then? Well, basically what uh, happens is that with these false flag operations, you, you can manufacture conflict because basically you, you can create the conditions whereby the American public will support a military intervention. So like the Gulf of Tonkin incident, uh-huh. uh, that, that basically got the, that got the Vietnam War to escalate into, uh, in, into a much higher level where the US military went in with hundreds of thousands of troops. Well, it, it turns out that that was a false flag operation. And, and what, uh, what that enabled was that you had uh, vast military operations in Vietnam which generated enormous sums of money that would go to fund the military operations and it also would provide the perfect cover for um, drug operations so the drugs could be generated you know, through the Golden Triangle yeah. passing 
passing through the U.S. military into the into, into the uh, American mainland, which would generate large sums of money for the black budget, and that money would then be used to fund black projects that were dealing with uh, the reverse engineering of extraterrestrial projects and mm-hmm. building underground bases where you had uh, extraterrestrials cooperating with uh, various military corporate entities. So, so yeah. what we have is a kind of vast system that's all inter- interlinked to basically fund these extraterrestrial projects using manufactured false flag operations. Well, and there's other, uh, you know, I'm not going to dump, I don't want to jump into the conspiracy theory thing on this, but, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, about 9-11 being a false flag operation based on, you know, what we're talking about right now. It may not be directly related to extraterrestrials, but this whole idea of, of, of getting the, you know, we've been hearing about this for what, my entire life, mm-hmm. getting the people behind the military, getting our country behind the military, rah, rah, re and all that stuff. Oh, well, yeah. again, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of these kids who are in the military now who are, are presently doing service right now, and I feel for them, you know, and I've, I, I there is a, a, these false flag operations, yeah, I mean, it, I, you've heard about it over and over again, how about how they are engineered to get the people behind the military. Now, if we have a visit from some extraterrestrial friends, I, you know, and like we were talking uh, with uh, Dr. Lynn about like, earlier in the show, um, that some of these races, I, I don't know, you, you can shed some light on this for us, Michael. Some of these races have the potential to be billions of years ahead of us in, in, as far as their age, as far as, and as far as their technology is concerned, right? Um, I, well, it, it sounds like that they're already working with our government anyways, but if there was an act of war declared, on an, extra, an extraterrestrial race of people, let's say that they do make themselves shown. We, you know, we see these people, we we get some type of communication, and our people go, "Oh, we're scared of those guys." Start bombing them immediately. I guess you know all these things going on would justify that, and we would probably hear people screams from the streets saying, "Bomb them! Get them out of here! They don't belong here. They're not us. Go away." Uh, I mean, do you see that? Would you see that happening, Michael? Um, I. I think that would be very unlikely simply because um, extraterrestrial civilizations have been observing us and interacting with us for such a long time that if they wanted to take over, they would have done it a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a possibility that uh, some might say, well, you know, we've reached a level of technological sophistication, they were a threat, and so they could kind of uh, intervene, kind of like in the day the Earth stood still, that, that kind of scenario. But, yeah. but, but I think, um, you know, if, if at this stage, if, if we had uh, any announcement that uh, extraterrestrials are enemies and that we're going to be attacking them, then I think that would be a kind of, uh, and that would be a manufactured conflict, the sort of thing that Werner von Braun was warning about, that Dr. Carol Rosen and yeah. Stephen Greer have been talking about for years now. I think if... My personal opinion is if they have the technology to travel across large distances, I think they would have the technology to defeat us in any type of battle, too. So I wouldn't even want to even consider something like that. That's just from what my experience has been with, with this subject. The Vatican, you know, we've been hearing about this, too. i I, I got to ask you about this. Uh, the Vatican's. there's been some news reports I've seen uh, that the Vatican's releasing files, and they've been making statements concerning extraterrestrial life. Um, you know, what... I mean, why would these guys be doing that at this point in our existence or at this point in time? Well, um, that all began really with um, the Vatican chief astronomer, Gabriel Funes, um, in in the middle of last year where he gave an interview basically saying that extraterrestrials are our brothers and that uh, there's no problem with the Vatican accepting extraterrestrial life. Um, So that 
That was a very important statement because it was really signalling that the Vatican is quite open to the existence of extraterrestrials and if, uh, if there's a, ever an announcement that the Vatican would have no problem accepting that uh, they are kind of ethically more developed than us and that they are our, our brothers. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that was a very positive development and I think it kind of shows that we are moving into this new era of, of openness. Well, I find it really interesting because, I mean, an organization like, the, you know, the, the Catholic Church or, you know, in the Vatican there, would back up a statement like this or claims like this. It is a real earmark to a new era I think we're moving into. Uh, That really does say a lot, I have to agree, Michael. Another thing, too, I, I really want to talk about, and this is where I guess we're going to get really Star Wars-y here about this stuff, but uh, extraterrestrials, I mean, are they being targeted in any way? I mean, I see here advanced space weapons, but, I mean, as far as advanced space weapons are concerned, are they our weapons? Are they somebody else's weapons? I mean, are, are is there, I mean, down the road here, I mean, we could be going into territory where, you know, we wouldn't just be having wars on this planet. We may be having intergalactic wars for real. I mean, are, the, are there any type of targets going on like that right now? Oh, yes. I think it's been going on for a long, long time. I mean, even from the Roswell crash, they were targeting ET uh, vehicles. Um, uh, we had that Milton Torres who basically uh, confirmed that in 1956, I believe it was, he was given instructions to uh, fire uh, 24 missiles at, a, at an aircraft carrier size UFO. Uh, we had the 1991 uh, um, incident um, at uh, Brookhaven Laboratories where uh, there was a, two UFOs that were shot down by uh, a directed energy beam weapon. Um, and so I, I think what we are seeing is uh, just more evidence that uh, there's been a long-standing policy to target uh, UFOs, uh, extraterrestrial vehicles, mm-hmm. and that in some cases they've been successful and shot them down. But what? Why do they want to shoot them down? I, got, I have to ask. Why? I mean, what's the purpose of shooting them down? Simply put, I mean, why? Why would that have to happen? I mean, why? Well, I mean, have they tried to? I mean, I'm sure there's been some type of communication tried to be attempted. Um, that didn't. That didn't work. Um, well, yeah, the communication didn't work because I think uh, most of the extraterrestrials, like we mentioned earlier, are, are benevolent and, and really have humanity's best interests at heart, and they, and they understand that the military-industrial complex is really just wanting to build bigger and better weapons, and so they don't do business with them. But a few extraterrestrials do business with them, give them the kind of advanced technology they're seeking, and so they use that advanced technology to take pot shots at the other extraterrestrials, the majority of extraterrestrials, that really have uh, nothing but kind of more peaceful intentions uh, with regard to the planet, and so they take pot shots at these guys, and occasionally they get lucky. So they're using the weapon developments that one group of extraterrestrials are helping them uh, develop against a larger grouping of extraterrestrials that are really kind of more ethical, benevolent, and wanting to help humanity, but have no desire to give uh, knowledge and technology to the military-industrial complex. Well, so I, they shoot at them to basically get their technology. Well, that oh my, that's piracy. <laughs> that's, that's all that really is is piracy uh, on a different scale, uh, in a, you know, in a different format. But that's piracy. It, I don't know how to take that. I mean, well, it's it, complicated, it, obviously. I'm sorry, what were yeah, you saying? It's, it's kind of a Machiavellian strategy. If, if, you're, if you get a group of Machiavellian uh, strategists around, they'll come up with that policy because it's perfectly uh, Machiavellian, it's amoral. You basically want to maximize your interests, and the best way to do it is to use uh, the advanced weapons of one group of ETs to shoot down uh, other ETs who have even more advanced technologies. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to keep away from, the, you know, again, from the whole I hate the government thing in this conversation. But, you know, something like that, it just kind of grinds my nerves again because, again, it's, 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 it's our government or other governments playing games, going back and forth for probably their own game. You know, nobody else's game but their own. Well, we have to have the best weapons. We have oh, to have the yeah. best technology. We have to get to this planet first. We have to get to the moon first. This has been going on for the better part of 60 to 70 years now. And it just seems so selfish. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm not going to go, you know, I'm no tree hugger, I'm not a hippie, but it seems like, you know, concerning things like this, if there was mass sightings like we've experienced, the Phoenix Lights we talked about, right. earlier, I mean, mass sightings like this, and they're, they're going on all over the world, don't you think it might unite us a little bit more as opposed to people fighting over technology? Well, you know, that's the kind of military mindset uh, yeah. that, um, that uh, ETs represent a form of life that, that constitutes a new threat level and that can unite us as a planetary civilization. Yeah. General MacArthur talked about that. Uh, Ronald Reagan was talking about that. Mm -hmm. um, and a number of high-level uh, military officials have been talking about ETs uniting us uh, in terms of them being a new threat. So, yeah, that's definitely that military mindset. And it's just so sad and unfortunate, and I know I shouldn't be surprised by it. Uh, we hear about it all the time. We hear more and more stories, and we're hearing it here tonight, too. Uh, but it just it just really bums me out that it seems like the one uniting thing we may have here when it is, is UFO, extraterrestrial contact. We're not talking about different races on this planet. We're talking about a different race from a different planet. And it just seems to me that we would all go, wow, all right, you know, finally after all these years and all these questions and all this waiting, the answer is here now. Let's move on this thing and hopefully do something beneficial for both of our races, but it just seems like they're going to be firing, taking pot shots at each other from all over the world, <laughs> again, to gain technology. It just seems so unfortunate. One quick more thing. We only got a couple seconds here, unfortunately. Uh, why would extraterrestrial disclosure be spun if governments... Uh, well, okay, we kind of talked about that already, but... Well, I mean, we've kind of discussed that. I mean, I want, uh, it makes... Uh, I'm totally melting down now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, understand, I understand the question where, you, where you're going. Well, why would why yeah. they spin disclosure in a certain direction? Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's because, you know, they want to preserve their, their black budget. They want to, they want to protect their, their funding uh, for all of, these, uh, all of these projects, which are aimed yeah. at weapons procurement, uh, advanced weapons procurement. Because if the public knew that, you know, $1.7 trillion was being used, it was being generated each year in addition... Especially now, the, yeah. Especially now, and in addition to what the Pentagon is getting. So that means altogether, you know, that the, that the defense industry is getting like over, over $2 trillion a year, half, half of the budget, half of the, the federal budget uh, into military-related projects, the public would basically rebel. And so that's why they, they would want to spin disclosure in such a way that, yeah. that the public would accept ETs as a new threat level. Um, so our but, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah, and and so, but anyway, I talk about that in my new book. I mean, I haven't mentioned that. that oh. I have a new book that's just come out. Yeah. it's called Exposing U.S. Government Policies on Extraterrestrial Life. People can find out about it uh, on my website. But I talk about these things there: uh, the, the black budget, spinning extraterrestrial disclosure in a certain way, mm -hmm. taking pot shots at ET craft. It's all it's all in there. 
um, and it's on Amazon.com. So uh, listeners are check that out know. for sure. Yeah, everybody out there, check that out. I guess the synopsis, unfortunately, is we're at the top of the hour, but the synopsis, I, I you know, and I've, I've I've always been looking for reasons to trust our government. <laughs> I really I really want to. I'm trying, Michael, but hearing this again, I mean, I'm not you know like oh my god, sit down with the government, you're crazy, yeah. down with the corporations. But you know, this is just another reason, like you know, we got this opportunity here as a race of people to do something good finally and maybe move forward for a change. Uh, and it seems like there's just more and more secret secrets, lies, and you know, just general infighting back and forth. It just it's really unfortunate, but it's really interesting too. So, Michael, hang on the line for one second. We really really appreciate you coming out. Hang on for one second though, okay? Don't leave okay. us just yet. Uh, Got to thank Michael Sala. God, it's just super interesting stuff oh, right yeah. there. Uh, so, you know, but it's logical to move from talking about exopolitics to sex. Absolutely. I mean, it just makes perfect sense to me. So That's it, normally how my conversations go. Well, yeah, you know, mine usually goes from exopolitics to sex to motorhead, right? Uh-huh. And, and then back to exopolitics. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking to Katie Weatherup about, uh, about all types of interesting things, sex and shamanism, and how we can get more in tune with our bodies here in the next hour. But in the meantime, this is Ghostly Talk. I'm Scott L., I'm swallowing. (laughs) Amber, hurry up, go. I'm Amber. Uh, We'll be right back after this. For more info, visit ghostlytalk.com. 